I think of period pieces as like Elizabethan or like Regency. Right. And all of those we know are period pieces because mm-hmm. they were making movies then. But how long after a movie that is a period piece comes out, do we stop realizing it's a period piece? Like Singing in the Rain was made in the 50s, but it's about the 20s. So I wonder if people watch it now and just be like, oh, yeah, that's just a movie of its time. Can you tell that it was a period piece? No, I can't. Because I was rewatching American Psycho to think if we should do it for this podcast. And I remember it coming out. So I was like, oh, this is such a funny 80s satire. But I wonder if someone watches it now. They're just like, yeah, it's just a movie from that time. Yeah. Can you tell? I don't think I could tell. Hmm. I don't think that's like specifically unless I'm very familiar with the movies that are being made in that time I don't think I can tell the like that it's not the period that it's just from and then you hear people watching Game of Thrones and thinking that's based on history so maybe there's people watching Gone with the Wind and thinking it was made during the Civil War <laughs> people are dumb I don't I wouldn't put people that are dumb huh. it's like more popular movies like Gone with the Wind I know weren't made and like Titanic I know, right. I know those weren't made during those specific time periods, but um, things that maybe aren't quite as well known. Or like just movies from the, the 90s or... that are about the 70s. Yeah. Maybe that's a lot harder to tell. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where it blurs. That's interesting. I wonder which movies that are being made now, 20 years from now, people will just think that they were made at the time. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, welcome to another episode of I love this. You should too. Oh, are we doing this now? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay. It's a podcast. That's why you're sitting down in front of that microphone. Oh, I was wondering. <laughs> it was getting in the way of my drink and I was getting annoyed. But if we're podcasting, then I know why it's here. My name is Indy Randawa and with me is my easily confused but lovely co-host, <laughs> Samantha Hees. Hi, Indy. <laughs> <laughs> that microphone three for a loop. It's just, I don't know. It's been a day. <laughs> it's been a day. You and me both, sister. I had to leave the house by myself for the first time in like a week and a half. And I had to be home alone by myself for the first time in a <laughs> yeah, week and a half. It sucked. Yeah. Quarantine time. Sam's going back to work, kind of. And I'm laid up. Woo! Yeah. But let's not talk about that. Let's, let's talk, talk about... Happy about Happy, happy things like the television show Shit's Creek. So happy. I've been thinking about it all day too, and it made me happy. So, Indy, I picked this for you to watch. You'd watched the first two seasons, and I felt like it was important for you to finish the series because the ending of this series is just so fulfilling and satisfying. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, I love Shit's Creek. Do you? I think I love this too. Yes. I, of course, always like temper my love, but it's uh, it's not like a full 10 out of 10, but it's it's a great show. I don't think we'll ever get a full 10 out of 10. I believe the last show we talked about, we both gave 10 out of 10. Oh, yes. Okay. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yes. <laughs> that was Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some similarities in these two shows, which we'll probably talk about yeah. as well. So when I first saw this being advertised, I think it's because of those earlier commercials. They had more Chris Elliott, and it lot seemed like a, a kind of crass and broad comedy, much more than it yeah. actually is. It seemed a little bit more corner gas. 
I don't know about that because Parks and Rec. I uh big surprise to people who know me. I kind of like Corner Gas. Oh, see, I don't. But okay. I think it's closer to that actually because I think a lot of these successful Canadian shows of the last 10 years at least, uh, Corner Gas being the first big one mm-hmm. and then Shit's Creek, now we have things like Kim's Convenience. Yeah. All of them have a little bit more of um of a dry humor, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, Schitt's Creek doesn't rely on gags. It's not just a delivery system for jokes. No. Like like a lot of shows I love, like 30 Rock is just, here's how we get these jokes yeah. out. And it's just gaggy. set them up, set them up, set them up. And it, I love that. But that's <laughs> not what this is. This is um, much more character driven. And I think when you were watching the making of, they related it to the work of Christopher Guest. And then I was like, that's what it is. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of all of those Christopher Guest it's movies. Guestian. It's It's quite Guestian. <laughs> I just said that because it sounds fancy. Are you familiar with his stuff? No. No. Can you name some things that I might know? Well, now that you love Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy as a couple, they are together in a lot of these movies, like Best in Show. I've seen that. uh, Waiting for Guffman. What was the folk music one that wasn't as good? A Mighty Wind? Something like that? Hmm. I've only seen Best in Show, and I remember loving it. Yeah. So I think maybe I am a Guestian fan. I think you might be. What was it about this show overall, if you could say that, that made you love it and made you want me to love it as well? (laughs) We got there. Um, I don't know what it was specifically. This has such a familiar feel. Um, The family is very together, but also kind of estranged. It it's lots of different kind of scenarios that you could imagine. And um, I think that the characters are so real and kind of not caricatures that it just, it's very comfortable to watch. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. And I think that you're a big fan of like character development and relationships between characters and you like them to make sense so i think that this is a good show for you i do like that i uh, both agree and disagree with you because oh. i don't think that this is free of caricatures because like what is moira and david and alexis i guess if it's... not caricatures but they give them substance beneath that mm-hmm. which i don't always see yes that's kind of what i meant i think they are definitely caricatures like everybody in this small town like a small town comedy is gonna be you know there's the mayor and there's the women with a whole bunch of children and there's the small town waitress and like you know there's there's definitely people in this um characters in this that are caricatures and they're kind of like a stereotype but this show does such a good job of not allowing them to kind of fall into that jokey caricature stereotype land and keeps it more in like uh yeah you could roll up into any small town and probably meet some of these people they feel very real yeah and i think what you're talking about comes across maybe later in the series because when I was watching it, uh, the first two seasons, or at least season one and the first half of season two, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was anything amazing. I didn't think it would be anything I'd love. But when you watch the season one finale, or when I think about it now, you can tell that they weren't done. Right. At this point, the people are still jerks, and they hadn't learned their lessons yet. And it wasn't until watching everything that I realized that the keyword was yet. It's not that these are caricatures. It's that 
these characters had yet to learn their lessons, had yet to evolve, had yet to become fully realized, which I believe they do, even though they are larger than life and ridiculous in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Like, at that point, David is so mean when he tells Stevie that she's moving to New York with him. Right. Alexis, like, ditches everyone and, like, really cold-heartedly turns down the proposal. But at the end of season two, that was where you have I think that was Alexis's graduation, and then they had that kind of barn party at Mutt's. Yeah. That is the the switching moment for me, because once you get to season three, it's it's so much better. It's a more emotional show, and the characters are generally more likable, and mm-hmm. it's it's a sweeter show. Yes, it absolutely it is. it was not at the beginning. And I think that's why I really liken this to Parks and Rec, because it was much more cynical for the first two seasons and then it kind of grows this heart and we get to see all the characters grow and develop which we wouldn't have been able to if it was there in those first two seasons right so i'm not sure they planned a six season arc but it seems like they did Mm -hmm. and it's it comes together wonderfully at the end they i think one thing that this show benefits from is them deciding to end it after six seasons Agreed. I think that it gives you that closure. There isn't um, that thing that happens with like network TV shows where everything gets set up in the finale and then you don't get any closure because the show was canceled and nothing was ever filmed to like kind of answer any of those questions. So I think this is really nice because it does bring it to kind of a natural conclusion. Not only are they lucky that it didn't go too long and they just got canceled but it didn't drag they didn't Mm -hmm. they went out on their own terms so we got an appropriate resolution for Mm -hmm. people and starting at season three that's when i think it's it's really great or i guess maybe the end of season two i think mutt leaving was very good for the show Mm -hmm. even if you like the character i don't think he added anything no and alexis kind of grows up once he leaves yeah and Ted, the veterinarian, isn't a joke anymore, but Mm -hmm. he's like a really sweet and empathetic guy. And then David and Patrick get introduced, and there might not be as much nuance as I would love in that relationship, but I just want them to be together and to be happy. No, I just like they're just those two people that you just like. No, you can only have happiness because that's what you deserve because you're so sweet together. And I think Patrick. And David help each other grow in a really nice kind of organic way. And we'll talk a lot about that when we get to all the characters. What else did you like as the series developed, like in those mid-seasons? Um, I really liked how Alexis slowly came into her own. Kind of what you were saying earlier, the first two seasons... The family is very cold, and then the town starts to accept them, and it becomes warmer, like you said. And I really enjoyed seeing how they kind of slotted themselves into the town and slowly kind of relaxed into the fact that this is their new life. Yeah, and I think if you go back and think of the season finales, like in season one, they have mixed feelings about selling the city to that like jerk guy Mm -hmm. but then he has a heart attack but they're still going to go through with it they wanted to do yeah they're still on the market and then in season two they're defending schitt's creek to their old friends Mm -hmm. and taking the side of the the schitt's over 
their old rich jerk friends. Yeah, and I think that's when Johnny and Moira really turn around on the town. Yeah, because they stop that whole fish out of water Mm -hmm. thing because that can only last for so long and you have the first two seasons Mm -hmm. of it and you can't just keep going on about them being sad about what they're missing out on. You have to have them start appreciating or at least dealing with what's going on around them because just... Six seasons of people going, oh, it was so great back when. You just Mm -hmm. can't sustain that. And you can't have them just being shocked by the state of this town because they've been living there for two years already. So the show needed to grow up and move on. And I think they did a good job of that. Like the character stuff that you were talking about, uh, David opening himself up romantically and venturing out on his own. Alexis starting to appreciate actually admirable qualities in people, not Mm -hmm. just like wealth and fame. And just everyone kind of accepting the fact that they're there, even if they want to leave, they're dealing with what is in front of them, not just with with what's behind them. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to plan for the future in Shet's Creek, like when David starts a business. (laughs) I think that's one of the most definitive moments for him in saying that he wants to stay is when he starts that business and he gets... He starts to kind of put down roots and plan his life in Schitt's Creek, which kind of makes you think that they're there for the long haul, which is nice. That was a really good moment. What are some other favorite moments you have throughout the show? We can try to do them chronologically, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll be jumping around. Ooh, I don't know that I can do them chronologically. Um, I think that David leaving the messages for Patrick um, for his business license um, and he leaves all of these long rambling messages and he thinks he's deleting them. And so then Patrick gets like nine voice messages and it just like, it's funny because he's, you feel the panic that David's going through because yeah. he's trying to play it cool and he's not cool at all in that scene. Um, another one would be Moira's wine commercial. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's a funny bit. Cause that accent with those words was really good. Yes. Um, and then also, again, with the wine, um, when Moira and David go and try and create their own blend. Right. And they just get real and they're drunk. they're just like wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think some of those are my favorite moments. What about you? Well, going back to that graduation slash birthday episode, which is, I think, one of the best ones. It's such a good one because like everything comes to a head and you realize that the journey they've been on this season because uh, that's when Patrick and David first kiss. Mm -hmm. And this is some of the best acting from Dan Levy, I thought, because every now and then you get to see the veneer of his character crack. Mm -hmm. Not uh, not David Rose, the character that Dan Levy is playing, but the David Rose character that David Rose is putting on. Yes. He's putting on this this facade. And when Patrick kisses him, you see it crack and he's speechless. Mm-hmm. And you realize that David is this person that he's putting on. It's almost like it's almost like the actor is breaking character, but it is David breaking <laughs> the David character yeah. that he's putting on perpetually. And every now and then you get to see that when he smiles and like tries to suppress it and yeah. hide it. Those are really good moments. And through his relationship with Patrick, we get to realize that David is also aware of the bullshit that he puts out there. Yes. He's not 
fully bought into the character of David Rose. He realizes that it's ridiculous sometimes, and you Mm -hmm. get to see that come through. And I love those little moments because it's so subtle, but so well done. Early on, I loved that speech that he gives about pansexuality, about... Oh, the wine, not the label? Yeah, I love the wine, not the label. Probably one of the best, like... Such a good analogy. Analogies to, like, describe sexuality and preference that you could come up with. Yeah. (laughs) one of my favorite episodes was in season four episode seven and i can't even remember what the main plot was but there's two amazing moments there is uh stevie seeing the rosebud sign yeah which was great because that's such a a moment for her and Johnny, how they're coming together and like gaining something from each other. Yeah. But maybe my favorite moment in the whole series is in that one. And that's when Patrick at the open mic sings Simply the Best. Oh, yeah. You were not crying when I came home while watching that. <laughs> I walked in the door and Andy walked up to me. He's like, I was, I was chopping onions. Definitely chopping onions. But I literally crying. was I know, chopping I could onions. I smell them when I walked in. But I, uh, there have been many moments Maybe in this both. show where I've teared up and, you know, you just like love these people so much. And it's like Parks and Rec where you just like are rooting for them after a while as opposed to like, oh, what are they going to get up to this episode? You want them to it's succeed. It's like, I just need to know what's going to happen and that's why when some of the relationships are a little simplistic i don't mind it because i want them to succeed in what Mm -hmm. they're doing yeah i don't want to see all the anguish i was like they've gone through enough just let them be happy exactly exactly (laughs) um and i just want them all to grow and to you know be happy in schitt's creek because schitt's creek seems like the best place in the world there's another episode that's a little later in the series that's great And it's when uh, Stevie is going to that other motel to meet Amir. Mm -hmm. And there's such a great friendship moment because David comes along and initially they think that she's been stood up. And he steps up as a great friend, which he has not been Mm -hmm. at all. So this is a great growth moment for him. He steps up to be her friend and give her everything she needs. But then when it turns out Amir was just late or delayed, I can't remember what happened. He steps back and gives them the time, gives them the freedom, and then goes and gets drunk and does karaoke. And it's hilarious. <laughs> so good. But it's such a funny moment, but also such a great character growth moment, too. And it's such a real moment. It doesn't feel staged or um, awkward. And David doesn't even really ever seem to want anything from Stevie in return in that moment. It's very self-sacrificing. Yeah, and I think he literally says, like, you owe me these things, and I can't remember what he lists, but that's, like, the David character that yeah. David is putting on. It's like it's it's not true, and that's, like, selfless love in yeah. that moment. You see, he's you know he's not going to ask actually ask for those things. He's just making sure that she knows that he's sort of put out by this, but that he supports her. There's another great moment that's, maybe around the same time in the series and it's between david and ted and you never get to see them together really no not really so alexis has already turned ted down they've been working together and now alexis has confessed her love to ted again but Mm -hmm. now as a much more full human being than she was initially and david gives ted advice which is bizarre but it was beautiful because he talks about uh, committing to something being all in and when something 
like that comes around, don't worry about protecting yourself. Just give all yourself over. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's when David tells Patrick he loves him as well. So like those two things went together. That was a really good moment. Oh, now I just want to like go and like this is making me just want to watch this all over again. <laughs> yeah, I love some of the brother sister moments between Alexis and David. Um, one of the ones that I saw because I was just watching clips of stuff um today while I was at work, and uh, one of the ones was when Alexis came back from her run and she's looking for her yogurt, and David's like eating it as he walks into the room and Alexis gets really mad and she's like, I was saving that for after my run. And David says, well, I guess I was saving it for during your run. (laughs) (laughs) And any time that Alexis says David, because it's always got the most um, like emotion attached to it and the most like exclamation attached to it. And she says it in so many different ways. Yeah. I've also seen a clip of her just saying it like 30 different the David ways. David Supercut? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's so many great like bickering moments. But I think what I loved about the show are these like the big heartfelt moments, or at mm-hmm. least that's what sticks with me. So yeah. that's why I keep saying like, oh, remember this? Like remember when the final season when... David agrees to stay in Schitt's Creek, and Patrick says, David, I will make you so happy here. And I believe him. Oh, I 100% too. believe oh, him, because he will. In that cute little house. Yeah. I just wanted a series just of them living their lives, running the store. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I wouldn't want to see that much more, because... I don't want to see, like, conflict through them. So I don't know, like, what would that show be? Just them happy every day? Because that's yeah. all I want to see. That's all I want to <laughs> see. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I definitely think that it's it's such a lovely relationship. And that was such a beautiful kind of cap on the end of it. Because they're not, like, it's not the end for them. But it's it's, like, a brand new beginning. Do you want to talk about the end of the show and how things all end up? And I think that could lead us into talking about the characters, which is really the the biggest thing of this show. It's not about the plot points nearly as much as it is about the characters and the relationships, Mm -hmm. much like uh, Parks and Rec that we talked about not too long ago. Yes. Uh, Yeah, let's let's talk about it. So when I started watching it or rewatching, because I'd already seen probably two and a half, maybe three seasons Mm -hmm. before watching it for this podcast. I knew it was going to come to an end and relatively early on you realize that it has to come to an end with them leaving the town or the choice to stay and you figure that it's going to be a mix of both of them mm-hmm. and you kind of root for them to stay there starting at season three because the town is making them better people. Yes. But you know it can't work just like that. They can't all just say oh we're we're staying here. And originally I thought that Johnny would stay and run the motel and that would be his success story because, maybe not success story, but like his personal journey. But the more I thought about it, the less his journey is wrapped up in him being a businessman Mm -hmm. than originally I thought. It becomes clear that it's more about Moira's happiness. Moira's happiness is Johnny's happiness. And Moira could never be happy in Schitt's Creek. Like all she talks about is leaving and her... Fame is more important. Whether that's a good character thing or not, mm-hmm. that's that's what she wants. And it made so much sense, so much more sense to have David stay because his personal journey was about losing those things that he 
thought were important and instead finding his own own happiness which he does with uh, with patrick and the store so did you like who stays and who leaves yeah i think so i think that um alexis needed to spread her wings and her breaking up with Ted was like devastating but it felt like a very adult decision for them both to make um, I think Moira going to LA is like the perfect place for her. And I think um, Johnny will do absolutely anything that he can do to keep his family together. So it's not like they're going to be as estranged as they were at the beginning of the show. Um, David and Patrick have slowly built this life that really makes sense for them and new David. So I think that them staying just seems so perfect. Yeah, the physical places where each of them goes is just completely indicative of their entire journeys, right? Like mm-hmm. like you were saying, Alexis's journey doesn't end with her finding like the right man, which we think that's her journey for mm-hmm. much of this show, but it's not at all. It's about her finding herself and knowing who the right type of man is and knowing who she is. Yes. Even if she can't be with the right type of person, yeah. they showed each other who that right type of person is yes. so that was a successful relationship that ends in a breakup right which is so sad i was like so sad when that happened but in the end isn't it so much stronger of a choice that she's choosing herself yes right she's not choosing a relationship or like the trappings of what she thought being with a, a handsome or successful person was because that's what she was all about mm-hmm. earlier but she was the most dependent person, and it's it's really gratifying to see her be the most independent in the end. Yes. She's the only one out on her own. Yeah. And that's great. Oh, it's so good. I love her whole character arc. And then, like you were saying, California is perfect for Moira because celebrity is, yes. is success to her. Remember the yes. episode where the internet said she was dead? Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, that is definitely... One of my favorite episodes. <laughs> yeah. And then it makes sense for Johnny to go. He's pretty much going to California, even though you think he's going to be kind of back and forth. But the most important thing to him, it turns out, isn't the business, which no. it seemed like for the longest time. But it's reconnecting or staying connected to his family. Yes. So he's going to be with Moira. He's going to support her. And he's going to visit Alexis and David whenever he can and yeah, Stevie and exactly. Patrick and Patrick because that's that's his family now his family has grown so his success is really that he's added two people to his family yeah yeah and they're so much more bonded as a group with that addition of those two people and of course we talked about the finale in indie terms because i'm like well what does it say about the character but just like (laughs) the show when you watched the finale how'd you feel um i cried like sobbed oh i I made sure you were out of the house (laughs) (laughs) and then i like ugly cried on the couch um so i thought that the town coming together to like change the the wedding venue and to try and kind of change the space that they're having because of the rain and all of the little like wedding day hijinks that happen like David's massage oh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the happy ending to the, the happy show <laughs> ending to the show um 
and just all of the things that the family and friends do to kind of ensure that everything goes off without a hitch, that um, it was just such a beautiful kind of wrap up for this show where everybody has done everything for everyone else. And so it just felt so nice to see everyone come together and help as a team. It's an incredibly appropriate ending to all of this. I think I didn't love it as much as you. I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But because I felt like all of these little success moments for each character had come about in the last season at some point. Mm -hmm. So this kind of highlighted it all, of course. But I felt like those characters had gotten there before the wedding day. There wasn't really many instances of people figuring it out just on that day. Oh, yeah. It was just a great wrap up of all of these journeys and the beginning of a bunch more that we're confident are going to go well. Yeah. It was it was a very good finale. I had so many like warm fuzzy feelings that entire episode and the drama of a wedding not going properly and all the little things that happened on the wedding day. I think that it just made it like the rest of the show just feel so real and there's so many things that can go wrong on a wedding day that the realness and the stress and those moments are just like more punctuation on the fact that these are like people's lives. So, Indy, one thing that we like to do when we watch a full show like this is to talk about the characters kind of individually and how they kind of work into each other's relationships. So, did you want to start us off with some thoughts about the characters? Sure. That sounded so well rehearsed. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like barely prepare for podcasts anymore because I find I do better when it's just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I, I think about them and I do write down you, notes. You make notes. And then I make a like flow chart of topics that kind of go into one another. And you like definitely keep the, the episodes on track. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but one of the first things that struck me being the very specific type of nerd that I am is how the characters were set up. There's always antithetical characters to everyone. Mm-hmm. So there's like a foil for each person. So Johnny has Roland, Moira has Jocelyn. David, I think it starts off with Stevie and then becomes Patrick. Yes. And Alexis has Ted. With the shits and the roses, the parents at least, they're like almost exact opposites. Like Roland is always set up as being very uh, crass and Johnny is like the most polished guy around. Moira is very self-centered and Jocelyn is is selfless and she just gives of herself constantly to a fault. To a fault. And the first few seasons, maybe into season three as well, The shits are like the most powerful people in town, which the small amount of power that they have, though. (laughs) Teeny tiny little amount of power. And that's a position that the Roses were used to. So the first few seasons are all about competition between them. Yeah. Whether it's uh, running for city council and all of those types of things. But eventually they stop caring about those sort of things and about class distinctions because overall like i think about many shows this is about a a classless utopia is what schitt's creek is kind of yeah and you know how i'm a sucker for tearing down any element of social stratification (laughs) yes yes there's one thing you know about me indy's a fan (laughs) (laughs) but uh, it's really clear to see how 
Johnny kind of learns some things from uh, from Roland, he kind of fits into the town. And I think because of the town, it's easier to see how the roses learn from the shits to become accepting of where they are now and their lot in life. Yeah. But I didn't realize until thinking about it that the opposite works as well, because we see Roland becoming uh, really concerned with his career, right? He's takes out a second mortgage to invest in the business. Yes. And he's wearing a suit for those moments. He still has the same hair, but still, right? Yeah. And I thought, like, Jocelyn, I didn't really think about her character a whole lot. No. Throughout. But when you sit back and think about it, it is a really interesting arc as well, because She's been someone who everyone kind of takes advantage of because mm-hmm. she's so caring that she just does what is asked of her from everyone. And it's not until later seasons when we see her after her dealings with Moira or mm-hmm. as Moira as an adversary that she begins to learn from her and she starts standing up for herself mm-hmm. a lot. I can't even remember which episode it is, but I think it's the one about the concert that gets canceled where she says, no, this is what we're doing. This is what I want. And uh, throughout having the baby as well, she starts taking charge of things more than she ever has in her life. And I think even though I don't always have the nicest things to say about Moira's character, I think this is due to her friendship with Moira. Yeah. For sure. I think that, like we said, Alexis becomes kind of a fully formed human adult. Um, I think that Jocelyn also goes through a little bit of that, but in the opposite way, because she's so very much been this caring, giving figure that being around Moira and her selfishness and her kind of almost not even noticing that she kind of uses everyone around her, that Jocelyn takes on some of those characteristics and I think is much happier in the end. I think with all of these pairs, with Johnny and Roland, Moira and Jocelyn, Ted and Alexis, David and Patrick, a great person would be the person that's right in the middle of those pairs. Yes, yeah, for sure. Taking the Or that would be the worst pair, person. I guess if you take the good stuff from both, you'd yes. be best. The, the best stuff... <laughs> smooshed in the middle is the best person Mm -hmm. well we already started but let's start (laughs) off with uh johnny a little more in depth what do you think about eugene levy's portrayal of johnny rose oh i love it (laughs) i don't feel like i'm gonna say that about everybody but um i think that johnny was such a kind of an integral part of this family in that he very much was that kind of tacky stereotypical dad figure like he is a dad joke that yeah. that's what he is he's and also the most normal person he is the most normal because i think he's come from nothing to being rich and having the successful business to losing it all and i think that he adapts the easiest out of the entire family yeah, he's always looking for solutions. Yes. He spends the least amount of time wallowing in misery. Yeah. He's just trying to f- see the bright side and see for a way out. But also he appreciates what he has because it's brought his family closer together. Mm-hmm. Which may not have seemed like his uh, biggest concern early on, <laughs> but I think that becomes it. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate his kind of bright chipper attitude throughout the entire show because i don't think johnny has a down day 
there's that time when Moira's out of town or she's in wherever they are, Estonia or something, shooting oh, the Crows right, movie. Right, right, right. And he has a really hard time with that. He does. And that was that was really interesting to see because it's not something that I've seen on a lot of shows, just someone missing their wife. Yeah. It's so simple, but it, it taught us a lot about that character. It did. That really informed a lot of how I feel about Johnny's character now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Uh... His little words of wisdom throughout the throughout the the whole show, like when David is working at Blau's barn and he's like, Well, it's a write-off. And Johnny gets very oh, yeah. upset because David <laughs> does not understand what a write-off actually is. Yeah. Because he just says, well, he just you just write it off. Yeah. You don't pay for it. You just write it off. And I love how frustrated Johnny is, but you can tell this is uh, the type of conversation he's been having for years with his children exactly. and probably his wife as well. Because <laughs> he's the only one who has money sense in the family. Yes. So I uh, I loved those little dad moments where you can tell how much he cares and how much he just wants his children to be set up for success. But at the same time, these children are like they have no world experience no because they were so concerned about them being successful before that they were coddling them so much that now they don't know what to do no exactly so you can see johnny trying to impart his wisdom and i think eventually some of it does kind of break the surface and get through to them but it's uh it's fun to watch him struggle with um giving them the knowledge giving david and alexis and moira the knowledge so i don't know if this is actually an explicit plot point or something that was even apparent in it or if it's something that i just made up so you tell me if you felt this as well but i always felt like johnny began to feel bad for not being a better father as they were growing up or maybe not better a more involved or being closer to his family i don't think they ever say that but it definitely becomes apparent that fathering is his main trait. Mm-hmm. And they do talk, especially in the first couple of seasons, about how little the parents know about the goings-on of yeah. the, the kids' lives. Like all of Alexis's adventure tidbits that she just drops. Right. <laughs> or like they don't know Alexis's middle name, yeah. things like that. But that tends to be more pointed at Moira, I think. But... Being a dad is, like you said, one of his defining characteristics. And those moments of success that he has in this seem to be when he is his happiest. Of course, there's the business stuff, which is apparent and we can can see that easily. But I wonder if you felt that about his character as well, that he felt remiss or regretful about about the past with his family. I can definitely see what you're saying in some of his kind of actions. But I don't think that that was immediately kind of what I thought of him. Maybe it's just something that's small in the background. But even if he doesn't feel regretful, he does definitely go out of his way to to try to be the best father that he knows how. Yes. And I loved moments like when uh, David's playing in that baseball game. Yeah. I can't remember what exactly happens, but doesn't he, like, let David score or do something like that? He's cheering on David even though he's on the opposite team. Moments like that, or I think we actually see it most clearly with his relationship with Stevie, his yeah. his new daughter. Yeah. Yeah, and he really, 
forms Stevie into this businesswoman or like a person becoming a businesswoman. And he gives her everything that he knows. And like his children as well, she had to kind of come into the knowledge herself. Like when she comes up with the plan to buy like 30 more motels to make money. Yeah, I love that that was her decision. But I also love that she comes up with that right after reading his book. Because it's like Alexis and David, there's all of these moments where Johnny gives them the answer and they're just not listening or they don't care or it's just not important. And then there's a moment where they figure it out and Johnny's done almost nothing to like point them in that right direction other than being there and supporting them. And that's kind of what happens with Stevie as well. I'm not sure if the relationship with Stevie is that now he's learned to be a father or if now he's getting a second chance at it or if it's just that he gets to do it again. But either way, I love that relationship Mm -hmm. between the two of them. Well, should we move on to Johnny's other half, Moira? Absolutely. What do you think of her? I... (laughs) You love her. I love Moira because she is so extreme that she is kind of that person who's been in showbiz for so long that she's like a caricature of herself now um i loved her wigs i loved how versatile her look was but also Catherine o'hara is just she's gorgeous so it doesn't like really even matter what she wears because she just looks amazing I was a little biased going in because I'm a very big Catherine O'Hara mm-hmm. fan and Eugene Levy because I grew up, actually I was after all of the SCTV stuff, but I grew up watching that on reruns. Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite movies are like Home Alone and Nightmare Before Christmas with Catherine yeah. O'Hara. So I was a big fan of her. I don't know if I'm a big fan of Moira. Really? Yeah. I, I like everyone in the show. I appreciate the comedy that she brings to it. I appreciate the artistry of the performance because she's creating so much here. She's probably doing more heavy lifting as far as character work than a lot of people. Not in the nuanced stuff, of course. I think uh, David probably gets the most of that. But she's creating a like sketch comedy character every day. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant. Do I like Moira, though? I don't know that I do. What? Yeah. So everyone (laughs) changes and grows. Yes. I'm not sure Moira does. I'm not sure she is a good person at the end of this show. I think her journey is becoming a mother to her children. Yeah. And I, I saw moments when they tried to show that. About once a season, she would have a a conversation with someone. She has one with Stevie before the performance of Cabaret. Yeah. She has them with Alexis and David probably only once each. But I don't feel like her actions ultimately go along with that. She'll just have a, a speech that could be tacked on or taken out and not entirely change the plot. Right. Maybe with the Stevie one, she convinces stevie to go on but uh although stevie was already going on she just thought that she wasn't going to so i'm not sure if her actions really show a lot of growth because then even at the finale when she's at the wedding and she gives a a beautiful speech 
She's also dressed like the Pope and taking all the attention from her son's wedding. I think that's just so her. It, it is. And but I think that you have to realize the point where being you is harming other people. And isn't her a thing that she's been uh, too selfish her entire life? And she's should be going the other way by the end because everyone else has this growth. And I just didn't see it as much with her. Right. I'm sure there's people right now yelling like, no, she did this and she did this and she did this. <laughs> Relative to the other ones, it is not as much. And she is, I would say, if you were to actually hang out with any of these people, you would not want to be friends with Moira because I could not rely on her to do anything that she says she would do. <laughs> it's a great performance. <laughs> I think it's a very good character. Is the character a good person by the end? I don't think so. Huh. I still love her. She's so glamorous, and I just admire her ability, her and Alexis and David, their ability to like keep that sense of self because their sense of self came from things at the beginning of the show. And I think that they all did such a good job of assimilating into the town but also still keeping that like dramatic sense of self that they had from their life before right and i i really appreciated that and she made friends and started doing kind of the same stuff that the people in the town were doing but she did it so unapologetically as herself the entire time that you never really felt like you lost who she was in the beginning that is absolutely true. I think the difference I have is I think that being unapologetically yourself at the dismissal of others is maybe not a good thing. Because even at the end when she's going off to LA and they have a cake for Grace saying goodbye, Grace, she just comes in and like ruins the cake and makes that about herself too, right? Like yeah. she is absolutely unapologetically herself. But is that good for other people? I'm not sure it is. But in the end, it's a hilarious performance. <laughs> and it's the show wouldn't be the show without her. No, absolutely not. And her accent. Oh, yeah. Can you do a Moira? <laughs> Alexis. I think that's as close as I can get. <laughs> the way that she says Alexis's name is just hilarious. Yes. Or how many single-syllable words become multisyllabic. Yes, yeah. And this, like, British affectation that she does. Yeah, British-ish. Ish. <laughs> um, but I think that she adds so much to the show that I, like, it wouldn't be Shit's Creek without her. Very true. And I don't mean to say, like, I dislike the performance or the character, but I don't think she has the same arc as is given to the others. Well, should we talk about... Alexis? Let's. Who is, I'm going to guess, your favorite character? I don't. I like, I think so. I think I identify most with her, but I think I'm a big David fan. I think I love them as a, a unit. That's true. I, I don't think I could pick David or Alexis. You're doing Alexis pause right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a little kitty. Um... I think Alexis is my favorite, like I said earlier, my favorite growth story throughout the entire show. We talked about the show a little bit before we chose to do it for this podcast. And I was concerned because you look up to Alexis like a real life role model in ways that really concerned me. Because I was like, she's not good or nice. 
and the things you're emulating, maybe you should not be. <laughs> but then she comes around in she the does. end. She does. And it does. is a very, is very good arc. Yeah. I want all of her little dresses and her hats and her hair. And she's awesome. And I want to be her when I grow up. Again, you start with the clothing before you go on to the characteristics. And that's what worries me. <laughs> said earlier that I think Ted was kind of her foil and led her to that growth because she thought Ted was the best person around initially because like, oh, he's a veterinarian. He's handsome. He's the best. I'm going to go for that one. But then after the breakup, it's like Ted gained a little bit of power in that relationship, which he did not have in the first time around because Alexis always looked down upon him and said so a lot, which was like not cool, but that's who she was in the first couple of seasons. Yeah. And then eventually she stops looking down on him and that's when they could be together because they both learned something from the other. Mm -hmm. And... It's kind of a shame, but kind of great that the thing she most learned from Ted is that she doesn't need Ted. Yeah. But maybe she comes to that on her own too. a lot, too. But Ted was was very instrumental in that, mm -hmm. I think. And yeah, her arc from being the most dependent person in season one saying, like, oh, no, I'm on my way out. What's his name? Stavros is coming to get me. Yeah. And then anytime something happens, she'd be calling someone else. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm on my way out of here. And it's always someone who's going to come rescue her. Yes. And then she chooses to be the one, like, even turning down Twyla's money and saying, like, no, I'm going to do this on my own. It's something I want to yeah. do. And that was, yeah, that was a great arc. She's so good. Care to elaborate? <laughs> um, She grows up she was very much kind of a petulant self-centered child at the beginning of the show and um like you said she was waiting for someone to save her for someone to do it for her and i don't think that's a fault of her own i think that's the how she and david were kind of brought up and um i love all of her little moments where she brings up things that happen that her parents and her brother don't know about and i think that she brings kind of a wild levity to this show because she has this life that she has lived and she's pretty young but she's done more things than probably five people in Shit's Creek combined haven't done. Oh for sure. <laughs> and uh, you get to see her kind of settle into herself in a way that makes her feel very put together at the end. Absolutely. She does have some of my single favorite lines. She has a lot of hilarious lines, while David's comedy often comes from reactions. Yes. Alexis is great at delivering that first line, and David is hilarious in his reactions to yes. that. And that's why they were such a great pair. It's weird that I've been talking about this show so much right now. Yeah. But I kept forgetting about how like the basis for so much of it is David and Alexis and their relationship together. Yeah. Do you think that Alexis and Twyla are essentially the exact same person, but if they had grown up in different places? Yeah, I think so. Doesn't it seem that way? I think Twyla is another one who's young and has had a lot of life experience, but all of her life experience has been kind of bad. Yes. Um, so with all these little throwaway comments that she makes, much like Alexis with her like 
having to barter her way out of prison. Yeah, hers are all like glamorous escapades, or at least dangerous glamorous escapades, yes. while Twyla's are all just heartbreaking. Yeah, so I think that they've both lived a bigger life than people their age probably should have. Yeah. But I definitely agree with the fact that they are pretty much the same person. They just grew up differently. They're both a little ditzy, mm-hmm. but earnest in the things they believe. And Twyla was just in this small, loving community, so she grew up into being this loving person who doesn't quite get everything, but mm-hmm. she means well. While Alexis came from such a self-centered, materialistic place that those are all of her concerns. And I think they both gain from each other. It's probably only really explicit at the end. Like, there's some moments where they have together. You definitely see Twyla's effect on Alexis. But at the end, when she gives her the speech about spending money on the things that can make you smile, you get to see Alexis's influence on Twyla as well. Yeah. I think Twyla... Through the first three seasons is my favorite character, actually. I <laughs> loved her. I loved her performance. I loved her little jokes. She would only be in for like three lines each mm-hmm. time, but they were gold. They were gold, yeah. I loved that they started bringing up Patrick more because he's a great character, but it was kind of at the expense of Twyla. She yeah. wasn't nearly in it as much in the final few seasons, which was a shame, but... I get why they did that. Yeah, well, because she's not someone's love interest and she's not joining the family. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she was just kind of comedic relief and not integral, which is too bad because I really liked her performance and her jokes. Yeah, for sure. Well, do you want to talk about David Rose now, played by Daniel Levy? No? Not a fan? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Of course I wanted to talk about David. I love David. He... I love everybody, apparently. Um, but I love David because he's so sure of himself, but at the same time, very kind of unsure and hiding behind that David mask that we talked about earlier. Even though he won an Emmy, I think this is an underrated performance. Oh, for sure. It is so subtly nuanced that, and but it gets lost because he has so much hilarious over the top Mm -hmm. comedic stuff that you don't always pay attention to the really subtle stuff that he's doing and if if i want to continue my uh bit about foils with patrick (laughs) who's like almost painfully normal and grounded yeah but patrick also is able to address david's insecurities which nobody has ever done yeah in his life And David recognizes this and reciprocates in the best way that he can. And that's in choosing Patrick. And not just choosing Patrick, choosing new David and Patrick over old David. Yeah. Right? He's he's growing and he's the one who makes like the most distinct choice at that growth. Oh, no. And that's not true because we just said the one with Alexis as well. (laughs) And you also wonder, like, maybe Patrick wouldn't have found his true self Mm -hmm. if he had not met David, because he was, we don't get a lot of his backstory. We're not sure if he thought he was gay or pansexual or bisexual, Mm -hmm. and then he never had the opportunity. It seems like he had been living with that his entire life, Mm -hmm. but never had the person to bring all of that out. Yeah, David really seems to kind of draw that out in him. And you get to see Patrick becoming more confident in who he is. And when 
David throws Patrick a birthday party and he comes out to his parents. There's these little moments where you really see Patrick start to kind of grab on to who he wants to be and to take it because David is that out there sure of himself and he knows what he wants. And I don't think that Patrick has had anybody in his life up until this point who's been that open and bold. Right. But then on the flip side, Patrick shows that David shows David that he can have that life of like settling down and having a normal life. It doesn't always have to be the outgoing craziness that he's used to. Yeah, I know we're talking about David, but more about Patrick it's for a moment. It's hard to talk about. He maybe becomes my favorite character yeah. after Twyla is kind of uh, less prominent in the show. But when he comes out to his parents, so I had a few different thoughts about this because this is a world where like the bad parts of our world don't really exist. Yes. And I'm so conflicted about that because this Schitt's Creek looks like so many places I've been. Mm -hmm. I've been to a lot of small towns in Canada, like playing hockey and traveling and all sorts of things like that. And at first I was a little like, I don't know if angry is the right word, but I know I can't go to those small towns. Like the last time I was in Userepta, people tried to jump me in the parking lot. I was on a parade in Hardesty, Alberta, a parade throwing candy to children. And people were still yelling, like, go back to where you came from. I was giving them fucking candy. <laughs> so that's what I think of when I think of small towns in right. Canada. And at first I'm like glossing over all of that is doing those people a disservice mm -hmm. but i've completely come around and i think how they did patrick's coming out is a big part of that yeah because i thought like you have to address small towns and the opinions they often have mm -hmm. about gay people and this show doesn't do that but it it models a better future if mm -hmm. i can say that without sounding too dramatic yes because when patrick comes out to his parents they're upset and the thing that they're upset about is that like what have we done to show you that we wouldn't be okay with yeah this? and that's not a thing i get to see on tv a lot and i now feel that showing better ways to deal with all of these mm -hmm. things is just as important as showing the reality of these things. Exactly. And yeah, that that bit with his parents and how how they received it and how they were torn up inside about the idea that their son wouldn't trust them with this. Yeah. That was a that was a really beautiful one. I I appreciated that so much and it's a very well-written show, and I guess this whole show exists not in our world. It's mm -hmm. in a fantasy world. It is. Where, where people just, just care more. It's a little bit of a utopia. Yeah, a classless utopia, which yeah. I hope to one day live in, and it starts with uh, bringing down the proletariat. Right, Samantha? You heard it here. Revolution is what Samantha Hees wants. <laughs> like how I <laughs> did not say anything during that little speech of yours. <laughs> And yet somehow I want revolution. <laughs> yeah. So really, if you love Shit's Creek, act out all of these things. Yeah. This unconditional acceptance and love. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm telling you. Because I know there's people out here right now who are like, oh, yeah, I love Shit's Creek. It's hilarious. Yeah, but I wouldn't want my son to be gay. I wouldn't mm -hmm. want them marrying a black person. 
Think about that. Yeah. Why do you love this show? How does it make you feel? Are you doing those things? Yeah. Now I'll stop. I'll stop for a moment. Let's talk about David again. I got a little, got a little carried away there. Okay, no, but, but... I want to talk about that again. For oh, a sure, please. <laughs> I can do this all day. Um. So no, and I think that one of the things that I got from this show was um just the like the learning and the being okay with just letting people be. Like you don't have to label things. You don't have to like push people to figure out like a solid truth or like a solid answer and I love that because it just reminds you that like everyone's doing things in their own time or maybe there isn't a label for what they are or maybe they're just happy living life and doing what they're doing and I just love that um like reminder from this show that you don't need to label everything and not everything needs to be a thing and that you can just live your life and it doesn't affect you live and let live live and let live lieber and i forget how to say it. it's from cabaret oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, back to david <laughs> while we're on the subject of david though and how and uh david and patrick i think it was a great choice to move david from having stevie being the primary foil to patrick because mm-hmm. although coming from very different worlds Stevie and David are very similar. Yes. So I think to get that growth out of both of them, they both needed to have different relationships. Mm -hmm. Stevie with Mr. Rose and David with Patrick. Yes. It's kind of like Twyla and Alexis. Although similar, they're both kind of like opposite sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So you need someone with more contrast to really help that growth. I don't yeah. think Alexis would grow with Twyla. Maybe no. learn some things, sure. And same with David and Stevie. He learned to accept a lot of his life and maybe gain some confidence from that, from being with someone different mm-hmm. than his normal group. But he didn't really start to grow until Patrick, I think. Yes, for sure. Wait, should we have like one minute of Stevie talk? Sure. We kind of forgot about her. Stevie, yeah. One thing I love... There's never an instance where Stevie gets like all glammed up in a dress and eyeshadow and all that kind of stuff. Because I think 90% of TV shows, when they have a character who's probably like a very attractive actress playing her, Mm -hmm. but she's um, not portrayed as being like a, a sexy person. All of those sitcoms have to have an instance where they get all glammed up and everyone goes, oh, wow, it turns out you are beautiful. They don't need that in this show. Mm -hmm. She does what she's comfortable with. And yeah, she is beautiful. Yeah, exactly. And I think Stevie is Stevie. And David needed someone who wasn't fake. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because he was coming from a world where everyone was incredibly fake. All of his friends abandoned him. Exactly. And then he has someone who's the least pretentious person you could ever think of yeah she has gives no thought to what other people think no. really just, she doesn't care yeah and she doesn't know what she wants but i'm glad that she finds that with her relationship with johnny yeah <sighs> i also loved her singing maybe this time because yes. i kind of knew as soon as she was cast as sally bowles i was like oh she's gonna sing that and it's gonna be a a mirror for her own life but yeah because i i love cabaret so much i know you do i was <laughs> so excited time... when i was trying so hard not to ruin it for you and i think i already did before you even saw that season but i was like oh andy loves cabaret 
And he's going to be so excited about the Cabaret Schitt's Creek crossover. Patrick was very good as the Yes. And every time you paint your fingernails green, I always do the lines and you never know what I'm talking about. But one day, one day we'll watch Cabaret. Oh, we could do the movie Cabaret on here. Oh, yeah. But it's not as good. It has to be starring Stevie and Alexis and uh, Patrick. Oh, for me, it's the uh, Alan Cumming Broadway revival in like 98. I can't remember what year. Anyway, should we finally get to um, David? (laughs) Oh, yeah, David. (laughs) I feel like we've already talked about him because we've mentioned him with every character now. That's true, because the one problem I have about all four of them winning the Emmys, I think it's odd that Moira and Johnny were the leads and Alexis and David are supporting roles. Because in the show, I think it's the opposite. Oh, see, and I think that it's like four leads. I think David is the biggest lead in the show. Yeah? I think this show is most concerned with him. Hmm. Okay. I think he has more screen time than, than Johnny, though, no? I think towards the end, yes, for sure. But they won the Emmy for the final season. Yes. Which I think is a, is a David season. Oh, it's totally a David season because it's leading up to the wedding it's with our business and then moving into their house together. I definitely think it's more of a David season. So yes, this season, specifically season six, should have been David and Alexis being the best actors. One of my favorite scenes of David and Stevie is when they're sitting on the car looking at the house. Because Mm -hmm. this is when David thinks he's going back to New York. And he says, like, well, what kind of guy would do that? Like, meaning buy this house just because David said he liked it. And she says, like, a good person. A good person would do this. And you come to the realization that he's not just saying, like, what kind of a person? He means it. And he just has had so few good people in his life. That he legitimately didn't know, like, this is how people act. Yeah. And we also get that speech of him saying that he wants to go back to New York to prove to all those people that he's not a joke and that he won. Mm-hmm. And that's always kind of like just beneath the surface with David. Yes. Like, that he has something to prove. But that was the first time where you, you felt it. You felt the mm-hmm. pain of it, I guess. And... It's just a great example of what we were talking about earlier of this guy who's like the most confident, but also the most fragile and guarded. Mm-hmm. And that's who his character is. He's he's so guarded that all of these affectations that he does are to show that he doesn't really care. Yeah. And then when he's put in a relationship with this person who just unapologetically <laughs> cares and loves and loves with all of his heart... This is the time where David realizes that. Mm-hmm. And it was just just a beautiful scene. And both of them were doing, uh, gave such great performances mm-hmm. on that bit as well. And I love that he realizes through looking at the type of person that Patrick is, he realizes he already won. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to prove it to anyone. No. He needs to prove it to himself And by staying with Patrick and staying in this life that he loves, he's doing that. He realizes that he can just love this life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to do it for anyone else. He doesn't have to put on a show for anyone. He can just love what he has. And that's enough. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that was, yeah, one of my favorite scenes in the show as well. Mm -hmm. 
so David's moments at the Blouse Barn as like a brand consultant, I think, was his. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. And he's selling everything and he's taking over the business. And that lady is so scatterbrained that she just kind of lets it happen that um, he like you see him kind of come into this false sense of security like he knows what he's doing. And then all of that kind of crashes and burns. And then he gets this second chance to kind of figure out his life and figure out what he's doing and to kind of push himself in a different way, but with similar kind of aspirations that um, he gets this beautiful second chance that he totally takes advantage of and that totally works for him. And I love it. At first, I thought if I have a criticism of the show, it's that things work out too easily. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that's not what the show's about. Yeah. It's not about David struggling and figuring things out as a business person. Mm-hmm. It's all about the emotional stuff and mm-hmm. about these characters coming to terms with who they were, who they are, and who they're going to be. Right. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense that he worked at some blouse barn and then gets 40 grand and then opens a very niche boutique in a <laughs> tiny town that everyone loves. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No. That wouldn't happen. But I think when you realize that's not the main concern of the show, yeah, you can just kind of accept it that those things happen, things work out for these mm-hmm. people. And it's about looking at how each of them grows and who they're going to be in the future. And this is the type of show where I hope they never do anything else and like do a movie or something like that. Right. Simultaneously, I want to see what happens to them in 10 years. I want to know their journey. But I just want someone to tell me. I just want Dan Levy to say like, oh, this is their life. And just sum it up in like four sentences. Mm -hmm. Because these are like friends that you've had now, right? And that's that's the... uh, the way we've looked at these last two TV shows that we thought are very successful in that you don't want them to end because these are people that you feel like are your friends now. <laughs> They're family. And that's a big point of the show too, yes. right? Is uh, is making a family and making it with maybe your family members who you weren't close to before or with someone who you then kind of like adopt almost into your family. Exactly, like Stevie and Patrick. Yeah. That was another great scene when uh, Patrick's watching the baseball game and Eugene Levy doesn't really know how to how to approach the situation, <laughs> but then Patrick takes it upon himself and yeah. talks about how lucky he is to be accepted into this new family. Yeah. There's so many little things I would love to break down. I could just talk about Patrick and David's relationship because at first I thought like it just comes along too easily and then I go back and I realize that they do address all these concerns mm-hmm. I've had but I don't know this podcast can only be so long so, um, <laughs> and you probably don't want to edit another hour's worth of podcast when it's talking about this though you kind of don't mind it true maybe we should wrap up and then we can just go watch some of it and talk about it a bunch more probably yeah <laughs> I think there's only so much shit Creek talk people want to hear us talk about. True. Yeah, just go watch the show. Okay, bye. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on Shit's Creek? Watch it. You'll love it. It'll wreck you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel as 
emotionally devastated in this show. Really? No, because it maintains such a light tone throughout. It does. It's never like fully serious. Of course, they have moments that are not comedic and they have like very, very touching stuff. But it's not serious. It's um, it's earnest. Right. And I think there is an important distinction there. This show never gets heavy. Right. It is beautiful and touching at moments, hilarious throughout, but it's never it's never heavy. It's earnest, not serious. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a big final wrap up like I often do. No. Um, I know that the show came about as a very... Uh, poignant alternative to a lot of those shows that are just about rich people being rich yeah and i really i really hate those i know you do and i think they're very problematic and i don't think it's just a light thing of saying like oh yeah Andy doesn't like shows about rich people being rich but i think it really is a a bad precedent to set where people can just be rich and be famous for being rich and then become richer yeah i think that's uh, very bad and occasionally you do have movies where Rich people have their fall, and we kind of uh, revel in them being poor like us, mm-hmm. right? That's you get the what's that word, Schadenfreude, of uh, the enjoyment through other people's failures, right? Yes, and it is kind of cathartic to see rich people like that, or in like, things like Parasite, where it takes a much more um, I won't spoil anything more aggressive take on something like Trading Spaces, yes, where it's rich people getting their uh, come up in in one way or another but one thing i hadn't seen is rich people falling and then being accepted and loved by the working class mm-hmm. and that seems like a pretty unique take on it and oh, for that's sure. what you get here and i think i kind of joke about this show being uh promoting some sort of classless utopia but it is though mm-hmm. really right yeah if you look at it that's what it is i know people love to just watch it for it be being funny and it is it's oh, yeah. great to watch on that level but it also uh proposes a perfect world yeah right and that sounds like so grandiose for a little cbc show that is just a bunch of jokes but that's really what's at the heart of this mm-hmm. and uh that combined with all of these characters who were initially written fabulously mm-hmm. and then have just the perfect actors in each role. Yes. I know there's so many movies and shows where we say, like, I couldn't imagine anyone else doing these. You can't imagine anyone else doing any of no, those four leads. No, these are the roles that these people were, like, born to play. Yeah. And I don't think it's just because we are home and can't see our friends that we think of characters like this as people you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of the great writing and those performances. Yes. But, yeah, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Go watch it. Go watch it. It's on Netflix and Amazon right now. This is the perfect time to binge something like this because the world is like full of dread um, and you're not supposed to leave your house anyway. So watch the six seasons of Shit's Creek. Stay home. Obey public house orders and you'll feel a little bit better at the end. Yeah. Well, that's a really nice wrap up on that one. I yeah. Yeah. Real quickly, since we do often have uh, international listeners to this, but this is a show they might know, are there any other Canadian shows that you enjoy? Um, I've always been a big fan of Anne of Green Gables. So there's uh, 
CBC show called Anne, which is kind of um, a retelling of the classic Anne of Green Gables story. And it it's uh, a series, so you get more episodes and in-depth into the story and more day-to-day than you do with the original movies. And um, Road to Avonlea, was that one as well? Road to Avonlea was one. And then there's, of course, the like a whole bunch of Anne of Green Gables movies. Um that I absolutely loved. So I think anything to do with Anna Green Gables is uh, is a Canadian story that you just need to you need to know it. It's it's iconic here in Canada. So yeah. hopefully people around the world will get to know yeah. that as well. Uh, currently, there's Kim's Convenience, which is another CBC oh, that's show. Another really good. One. It's not great, but I really like it. Yeah. It's it's a very easy watch. It's a very fun watch. Yeah. Corner Gas, which I don't know why I like it. It doesn't seem like my kind of thing. I think it's quite well done as well. It's a very small, subtle, small town Canadian show. Right. But my all-time favorite, of course, is Kids in the Hall. Because it's one of my favorite TV shows ever. And it's just amazing. I know a lot of people probably have very negative thoughts about Canadian television. I'm one of them. Yeah. And I personally have had like terrible experiences with Canadian television. As like a creator. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think the Aboriginal People's Television Network wouldn't be so racist, but that'll be a story for another day. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, tune in next week when Indy outlines what's wrong with Canadian television. (laughs) Well, so, so much. But I, my last five times I've been cast in something, they go, why aren't you doing an accent? And it's like, this is my accent. Like, oh, we just assumed you'd do an Indian accent. Why would you assume that? <laughs> tell an actor, if you want them to do an accent, tell them before. Yeah. Don't tell them when they show up and just because they're brown, you assume they can do an accent. Yeah. And then I tried to do a British accent. They didn't like that at all. <laughs> uh, anyways. I prefer your southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's just me saying guarantee a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is taken from a Ninja Turtles cartoon character, I think. <laughs> But, Samantha, where can people follow us if they want to keep up to date with all of our stuff? Well, Indy, people can find us on Twitter and Instagram at I-L-T-Y-S and the number two. You can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should 2-podcast. And you can send us emails at I Love This You Should and the number two at gmail.com. We love hearing from people and we love seeing all of your fan things that you do. Okay, we get fan art sometimes. Yes. Our um, previous, our most recent Christmas episode, uh, someone made a t-shirt of yeah. Yulia Puki. Sean did. Good work, I said Sean. that very badly. <laughs> <laughs> Yulia Puki. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, so yeah, we love seeing stuff like that. Tag us on Instagram. We'll always throw your stuff up on our story and post about you because we love interacting with you guys. Because there's so few of you out there. Yeah. Also, Samantha, do you have your own individual stuff to follow? We never do that. Oh, yeah. Um, so my Instagram is at Samantha He's. I, uh, you can see just how much I love cheerleading because um, it appears like my Instagram stopped when cheerleading stopped in March because I haven't posted since then. But I do stories occasionally and you can see what I'm up to or what I'm eating or what I'm drinking. Or what Indy's doing. Yeah. <laughs> Indy, what, what about you? 
I, I use Instagram quite a bit. I used to be a photographer and then I got a real job, but I still do <laughs> a lot of photos through there. It's uh, Indy Randawa, which is I-N-D-Y-R-A-N-D-H-A-W-A. Yeah. And then for stories, it's just me cooking now because I'm uh, yeah. at home a lot. So I'm cooking a lot on the stories and then reliving old journeys and travels through my normal Instagram. Yeah, and sometimes I make an appearance. She does. <laughs> so follow us. Come find us on the internet. Let's be friends. Let's be friends. We love interacting with all you guys. All y'all. Is that a thing people say? All y'all, yeah. Yeah, okay, perfect. Well, we'll see you next week when Indy introduces what we will be watching as his next pick. Sounds good. Bye, everyone. Bye. Talk about character stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start with Johnny and Moira? I want to talk about antithetical characters and foils. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? You start. <laughs> you start that one. Oh, you could ask me and then I'll... So, Indy, I heard that you wanted to... <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> you heard from me telling you. <laughs>